This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by John Perrine. For those of you who don't know me, my name is John Perrine. I am one of two church planting residents here at Church of the Resurrection in my second year, and I've been serving, leading, pastoring the college ministry. Any college students here at the second service? Yeah, I I didn't ask the first service because I was worried that you would have been sleeping in. So I'm glad you're here now, second service. Good to see you college students. And uh, this this morning, when I learned that I was preaching at All Saints, uh, I really was struck by this question that I want to invite you into as well. Question, what does it take to make a saint? What does it take to make a saint? So I went on a a journey or a quest, if you will, sort of exploring what the different traditions had to say about what it takes to make a saint. Uh, I started with the Roman Catholic Church, love our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, and uh, they, along with rigorous holiness of life, contribution to the kingdom of God, the Catholic Church actually looks for signs of two verified miracles in order for you to be canonized as a saint, which really got me thinking, it'd be tough to only have one miracle, wouldn't it? Like, you get so far, but then you stop right there at one and you don't quite get in. Uh, I I looked at the Eastern Orthodox Church. Again, we love our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters, uh, but they they seem to really prefer if you were born in the first seven centuries. That kind of counts many of us out. Uh, My evangelical brothers and sisters just got kind of nervous. They just started backing away when I started asking about saints. But really, Anglicans are the most rigorous when it comes to sainthood because really you need to be named C.S. Lewis. That's kind of the one requirement to be an Anglican saint. The, the question this morning, though, uh, that I was struck by as I was preparing this, this message was why, why this text? Why this gospel reading from John where Lazarus is raised from the dead? I think the reason why the church has offered us this word this morning is because Jesus wants to instruct us through this passage on what it takes to make a saint. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up with me to John 11. And this morning, I just want to zoom in on one verse. Chapter 11, verse 40. So here in this story around raising Lazarus from the dead, you've probably heard bits and pieces of it before. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, has died. He's been dead for four days. And understandably, there's just lots of grief that's come along with this death. Jesus has come and he's interacted with both Mary and Martha, and both of them, in different ways, have just put this heart-wrenching question before Jesus, where they say, if you had been here, if you'd just been here, then maybe Lazarus wouldn't have died. So after... Martha and Jesus interact. Jesus says this word. That's a word for us this morning. Look with me at verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If you believed, you would see the glory of God. There's really two questions with this verse that I want to ask. First, why, why is it a conditional if, if you believe? And second, what is the glory of God that Jesus is talking about? So first, why this conditional statement, if you believe? If you believe, if you sit with Mary and Martha, I think it's pretty easy to empathize that when your brother has died, there's a certain finality, a certain 
loss that just feels undeniable. And as you think about your own story, I'm sure there have been many moments, many of these uh, situations that have happened to you where you just feel something be lost and you feel your heart start to close in on itself. Like maybe if, if you hadn't loved as much, maybe if you hadn't cared as much, maybe if you could protect yourself more, then maybe this wouldn't hurt so much. When Jesus puts this conditional in front of them, if, if you believe, what Jesus is inviting is if you open your heart back up, if you open yourself to what God could do, if you just believe, trust, have faith, lean in, receive this gift that God wants to give you, then you will see the glory that God wants to put in front of you. John is going to write at the end of his gospel, I write these things so that you may believe. So that you may believe. And I think what John is doing, what John is inviting us into is, John knows, he gets how hard and costly belief can be sometimes when we experience these encounters of loss, when we feel ourselves closing in. John, in fact, has stories across his gospel of Nicodemus sort of coming in anxious, closed off, afraid at night. He has Pharisees who are closed in. They're trying to protect themselves. They're trying to keep their religion going. He, he has even his own disciples, Jesus' disciples, getting sort of closed off and scared. Maybe we might die if we go here. Maybe everything will be lost. What John wants to invite us in, what Jesus wants to invite us in, is to this scene, this moment where Jesus is standing and he's looking Martha in the eyes. He's looking at Mary. His disciples are all around him. And he wants to ask you and me, will you believe? Will you open yourself up to what God could be doing? Will you trust in the glory of God? Well, as Jesus puts this invitation in front of us, if you believe, he says we'll see the glory of God. So what is the glory of God? Well, John is all about signs. John's a master storyteller. And so John wants to offer us a sign. We're just going to look at the sign of the glory of God that John offers. If you look with me at verse 43... John says, when he, Jesus, had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. Now we got to just pause here. The man who had died came out. What is the glory of God? What does the glory of God look like? Well, Lazarus is giving us a sign that death can be reversed. That sin, which is the cause and consequence of death, that sin itself can be overthrown. That when Jesus goes to the cross and he's risen again in three days, that Jesus wants to reverse death itself. And Jesus wants to look each of us and call us by name and call us out and say, come, come forth, enter this new life, enter the resurrection, come into my salvation that I want to offer you. This is the first part of God's glory that John wants to offer us with Lazarus. And yet, there's a final portion of this chapter that I think John himself, as he was writing the gospel, sat long and hard with. I think John was there. He saw this. Yet John includes it here because it's important for us in understanding what it takes to make a saint, what, what being a saint, living out this saint calling looks like. If you continue reading, the man who had died came out, but his hands and feet were bound with linen strips 
and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Is it not so true for you and I that even as we're called out, called forth into this new life that Jesus wants to offer us, that the linen cloths can still keep us bound? That these old, dirty rags that probably smell like a tomb, smell like death, they still cling to us. They trip us up. In fact, if you go back to this scene, I mean, how stunned and almost comical and awkward is it that Lazarus was dead, is alive, so the first thing you see is, man, Lazarus is alive, and yet Lazarus is still bound, and he's struggling, he's kind of wobbling. I think John gives us this sign because he wants us to know when it comes to following Jesus, of course we're still going to find ourselves wrapped up. Our hearts, in all of their own self-protecting, are going to bind us up with these sins, with despair, with this loss of hope. And what Jesus says to Lazarus is, unbind him and let him go. In the original languages there, I love that that let him go verb is actually the same word for forgive or release. John knows what he's doing. He's trying to help us see when Jesus speaks to us, when he calls us out, he doesn't just invite us into this new life. He wants to unbind us and release us from the very sin that keeps on clinging to us in our lives. As I was uh, reflecting long and hard on this passage, I, my mind was drawn to the ways in which I'm getting to witness this resurrection power of Jesus across our church, across our diocese. I think Revive last weekend had these powerful moments where we prayed at the cross, where we gathered with African-American brothers and sisters, and there was, there was an unbinding and a releasing that was happening in Jesus' name. There was a true glory of God. There were saints that were being formed in Christ-likeness. Think about our college ministry. We've had multiple gatherings together where we've confessed our sins, we've extended forgiveness, where we've gone deep into some of these students' stories, and I'm getting a chance to see Jesus unbinding and releasing college students' lives as they come into belief, as they invite, as they open themselves up, as they hear Jesus calling their name, and as they get to know Jesus and his church. But ultimately, as I was reflecting on this, I was drawn to my own story. Jen and I have been here about a year now, and when we first came a year ago, we were ready to go. Like, we were pumped up about church planting. We had a little bit of a, like, let us at them approach. Bishop Stewart uh, kindly sat down with me as I explained to him how ready I was to church plant, and whenever he wanted, he could go ahead and release us out the door. But in his wisdom, in the church's wisdom, as we've moved slowly, what Jen and I have both been seeing even strikingly in these past couple months, has been a true unbinding and releasing in ourselves, a true deepening of belief. I, I, over the summer, started to realize that that nagging anxiety, sort of performance anxiety that I had just grown accustomed to live with, started to realize that Jesus might actually want to meet me in that anxiety. That as I prayed with some people on staff, as I just found myself in our prayer chapel over here. I just again and again kept being drawn to Jesus, telling me, meeting me, saying he wanted to release me from the very anxiety that I just assumed would always be kind of wrapped around my legs. More than that, we've been experiencing 
the power of the Holy Spirit in new ways. It's hard not to believe when you spend five weeks with resurrection, the sermon series on being full of the Holy Spirit. And again, particularly in our college ministry, as Jen and I ourselves have been fathered and mothered, spiritually fathered and mothered here at Resurrection, we've just been starting to see how the unbinding and releasing in us is actually increasing this glory with our students. More and more students are just being drawn in, being loved, being opened up, are encountering Jesus and his invitation. So this morning for you as I close, I, I wonder if you were there at that tomb how you'd be coming into that moment. Would there be a sense of heaviness or loss even this morning that you feel as we gather for all saints? Would there be a sense of just uncertainty, maybe a nagging question that you feel like if Jesus could just answer, if you'd just been there, Lord, then maybe, maybe this would be all right. This morning, I want to extend to you, I want to invite you into this encounter with Jesus himself who wants to look at you and tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.